This week, a manager's own ghost story inside the dreaded Fort Niagara. And it's time to compare notes as I read an article from a ghost guide in America's most haunted town. I'm not sure if I ever covered Fort Niagara before. I'm going to tell you, it is hands down one of the most haunted places in North America. And the beauty from my point of view is it's not too far from where I live. So the area where Toronto is, I'm in Hamilton. If you drive down towards Niagara Falls, it's about an hour away. It's not that bad. And then you can look over the water. You can see this beautiful building. It would be about a five-minute swim, but a uh, 30-minute drive, which is kind of strange. That's just how the land geography is around that area. But Fort Niagara is a very cool place. If you haven't seen it before, definitely look it up now. Because you think of Fort George when you think of Niagara-on-the-Lake and you think of how haunted Fort George is, but did you know that 90% of Fort George is just a replica? That the original wooden buildings that created Fort George were burned during the taking of Niagara-on-the-Lake. Uh, when the this wasn't the burning of the town that came later, this was the original battle that took the former capital of Upper Canada. So they burned all the buildings. They didn't burn the powder magazine because it was made of stone as well. They didn't want to blow themselves up. But the rest of Fort George was destroyed. So you look at Fort Niagara as a piece of history. And in that regard, it's completely original. The structures date back uh, much further than the War of 1812, almost 100 years before the War of 1812, the castle building which we'll talk about, was built in 1726 by the French. So you have the castle building, which is made of stone, and all the surrounding buildings, which are made of stone. And over the years of the battles that have occurred on that land, the structures have remained. This is cool. This is very, very cool because of the fact that if you believe in the sense like I do that structures can house the energy of ghosts and people from the past then I mean this is a piece of ghostly history that still remains so this is why I love Fort Niagara I'm not sure if I've talked about it in the past I, I I'd like to cover it starting now I'm gonna you know fix this situation and cover it starting now uh, so it's uniquely old for that reason. It has a different energy because of how old it is. You'd be hard-pressed to find any 1720s buildings that exist in the upper part of the United States and Canada. It's just not that kind of history. I mean, of course, you have Boston. You have parts of New York. They date back quite a bit. There's some structures that still remain that have been kept up. But coming inland like that, there was no reason for them to come inland like that. So the fact that this exists is very interesting. And I guess because it borders into my own country of Canada. And back then with the British, the revolution, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the tensions were high. And for that reason, they needed that protection. They reused this old French fort and turned it into an amazing fort, which is now Fort Niagara. So the original castle building which I already mentioned, is built in 1726. Uh, it was built by the French. 
later on the British would take it over, then uh, the Americans took it over after the Revolution, the British would get a hold of it again (laughs) during the War of 1812, and then eventually just turning it over with no bloodshed back to the Americans, and it now remains in American possession because of the natural border of the Niagara River. So you have Canada, and on the Canadian side, it's Niagara-on-the-Lake. And if you go to the gazebo in Niagara-on-the-Lake, you can look over, and you're like, oh, what's that landmass? It almost looks like an island. It's not an island. It's actually Youngstown, New York. So Niagara-on-the-Lake, Canada, Youngstown, New York on the other side, and Youngstown is where Fort Niagara is located. So this is also a location Fort Niagara is used uh, during the Revolution, before the fort was handed over to the Americans during the Revolution, uh, the Loyalists who had found Niagara-on-the-Lake, they were camped out there. This is a man named John Butler, the feared Butler's Rangers. is a military faction during the Revolution that had been attributed with many atrocities. Of course, much of those stories were, were overblown. But they would be camped out at Fort Niagara, not just them with a thousand loyalists, but also um, uh, many thousands of natives who have been, you know, removed from their homes due to some propaganda that was spread about the natives during the war. Uh, So they needed a, a safe harbor as well. And from Fort Niagara, they all traveled over. They uh, took over and uh, I'll use air quotes, purchased the land that would become Niagara Lake. I'm not going to get into that, but if you want to hear that weird history, you can look it up yourself. So they founded that. It became Butlersburg, and eventually Butlersburg became Newark. Eventually Newark became Niagara, and eventually Niagara, to avoid confusion with the Falls area, uh, the town became Niagara-on-the-Lake. That's what sits there today. So Fort Niagara is a pivotal part of the history of that entire region. And there's no doubt of that. It's it's beautiful. Uh, it the history of it, to say the least. And it also has one of the oldest legends in all of North America, considering that it dates back all the way to the 1700s. Because this story has been told right from the beginning. The French soldiers left. They told it to the British soldiers, probably to try and scare them. Uh, the British soldiers shared it with the Americans, and so on and so forth. Now, I'm not going to go into the legend too much. Uh, I'll probably do this in a future episode, but definitely considered one of the oldest. But for this episode, I want to focus on a personal ghost experience, and it happened to a man named Ray. Now, Ray was a manager at Fort Niagara, no longer. I believe uh, last I heard he moved to the town of Simcoe in... Ontario, so he's a Canadian now. But Ray was the perfect manager to work with because this is uh, Daniel, the Ghost Walks manager that's talking now. When, as a manager, when you're doing these types of tours and you go into new locations, you try and explain them what you do. If they've never seen ghost tours before, never been on them, they're going to have no idea what you're talking about. So, as you get some confusion, you try to explain, oh, this is just as historically sound as any history tour because you can work the history into the ghost stories, make it very interesting that way. And not only uh, does a ghost story support the history, but as well it connects people in the group with the folks of the past who used to live in a location, say it's a house. So you explain all of that, 
and they're still like, well, aren't ghosts fake? Aren't they ridiculous? Uh, you, obviously, if you've listened to my show before, you know I do not feel that way. <laughs> and I do my best. I bite my tongue. I do not get angry. I do not scream at them. <laughs> I just, I'm very nice. I'm like, um, no, they're real. <laughs> just trying to be really nice. That's me holding in my anger, by the way. But Ray was amazing. Ray was the perfect manager you can get in this type of situation because he was a huge believer in ghosts and ghost stories. And he supported us at any turn. And when uh, we went out there, we did a special event. It was an investigation night years and years ago. And he actually uh, showed up. He showed up at it. He brought some of his own homemade wine to share with the group. He was wonderful. And he wanted, like, he was so interested. He wanted to see what kind of stuff we captured. So being a believer in the ghosts means that you have an understanding of these things. And then Ray is in also the perfect situation that he is the guy that when it's open late into the evening on many of those nights, he is the guy who is scheduled with shutting things down. And a take charge manager like him, hands on, he would send his employees home. He wanted to be the last guy out of that building. Maybe he was trying to tempt fate. You know, wanted to have an experience, wanted to make something happen. I'm sure that was in the back of his mind. He never actually said that, but I'm sure that was in the back of his mind. So he was the guy. And one of those experiences that occurred to him happened during a t- point when he was shutting down the fort for the night. So big believer in ghosts uh, alone. It's nighttime, completely dark outside. Uh, He's the only guy in the entire fort, and if you know Fort Niagara at all, you can look at the pictures, this area it's located, it's surrounded by water. You have to drive through a park just to get out, so the feeling of seclusion would be insane. So just that, that feeling of being there at night with people around you, you still feel secluded. So I can imagine being by yourself. So he's had experiences over the years. I'm sure this sits in the back of his mind as he's locking up the castle for the night on this particular evening, years and years ago. He's alone. The employees, guests all left. So he said, shut down the other buildings. Everything's locked up. He always left the castle for the end because it is the biggest structure. Uh, He wants to go room to room, make sure that everybody's out. There's nobody hiding anywhere and make sure all the lights are off. So everything's dark. He's good. He uh, leaves the building, everything's shut down, he's walking down the dark pathway, I think he had a little tiny flashlight he was using so he doesn't trip and fall, and then he stopped, because what happened was the ground lit up around him. Now he's confused for a moment, but then he turns and looks, and he sees that one of the lights in the castle building has come on by itself. Looks up, it's the second floor chapel. This is a quick side note. Uh, That chapel is actually quite haunted. I'm uh, absolutely amazed by that uh, space because I've had experience in there myself. So the fact that it comes on the chapel uh, says something to me. It actually um, supports and validates uh, previous experiences that people have had in there. I might uh, cover that in the future as well. But back to Ray. Standing in the pathway by himself, the light from the chapel shining down on him. He takes a deep breath. He walks back to the building, walks around the entire building, just when make sure that it's not anything natural and 
looks into the rooms again and then rushes up to the second floor of the spiral staircase there and runs into the chapel, you know, checking behind the altar and everything, make sure that it's empty. Everything's fine. Nobody's there. So another deep breath, heads downstairs, goes to that main light panel, turns the light off, which the switch had turned itself on, turns it off, walks out the door, down the path, uh, and guess what? Everything lights up around him again. This time brighter. So he spins around and just the sheer feeling of frustration and fear at this point must have been palpable because he looks back and there's the chapel lights back on and guess what? Two other rooms as well. So he's, I can only imagine that frustration. He runs back into the building, quickly looks around, yeah, the panel, the switches have been switched again, uh, turns them off. And at this point, he said that he was trying to sneak out because he like he didn't take the pathway. He thought, maybe if I sneak through the darkness, don't turn on my flashlight, the ghosts won't know. <laughs> I, uh, I always get a kick out of that. Um, but so he does that. And guess what? The light beside him on the ground lights up and turns around the multiple rooms, including the chapel of all have led up again. So he was too slow. He couldn't get out of there in time. But I mean, he sees the lights are on now. He has no choice. He can't leave in good conscience and have a good night's sleep without turning them off. Uh, So he goes back into the building. But this time he's going to try a different method. Instead of just running around the building and turning the lights off, probably the ghost is hiding behind the wall laughing at him. Uh, This time he tries different. He actually yells out, screams, mind you, into the building, stop it. I want to go home and then switches off the lights. So at this point, he's walking down the path. He's not even trying to hide himself. And he's so worried that the lights are going to come back on, but they don't. So this annoying spirit proved to at least, at the least, be respectful of Ray and his authority in the in the uh, fort game. Uh, Ray is the manager, not just of the living employees, but it seems to be also of the ghosts because the light stayed off. Daniel, I have a question for you. This is a question nobody asked me, so I'm going to ask myself it. What is it like being a ghost guide in what is considered to be Canada's most haunted town, Niagara-on-the-Lake? Good question, Daniel. I'm going to answer that for you. Uh, It is interesting, to say the least. I mean, if a place has a certain type of energy to it, that alone is enough to give you a certain feeling when you're walking around the town at night, when you have a group of believers and non-believers in front of you that are, you know, um, adding their energy to the stories that are being told. There is definitely a different feel to doing a tour in Niagara-on-the-Lake than any other location I've ever done a tour in before. And this also includes secluded locations like the Hermitage and inside buildings like the Custom House and Castle Kilbride. It's a different type of energy that surrounds it because you know on that land there was much violence. And for that reason, you step lightly knowing that there's uh, layers of history and energy that are rising up beneath your feet. 
it's 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 an interesting feeling that most tourists who go there during the day to get their ice cream and to walk around and look at the cool historic buildings they don't get the same feel the feel comes from the seclusion and the calm of nighttime and that's when us ghost guys we thrive so it is interesting to be in Canada's most haunted town but like I've always said to many people Canada is basically a baby country compared to the countries of Europe, even to the United States. We don't have the same level of history that some of these other places have. So if you come to me and say that, oh, Canada's most haunted town versus America's most haunted town, I'm going to say America's most haunted town has more energy, has a more vivid and in a lot of cases, violent History. We don't have the same level of violence that has occurred in the United States. And then on that thing, if you say America's most haunted town versus England's most haunted town, I would probably say England's most haunted town is going to have more energy. Although I'm not sure offhand which one is England's most haunted town. If you guys know, shoot me an email, ggdaniel at ghostwalks.com. But for now, we're going to talk about America's most haunted town. So I have an article here. Uh, It's from a woman named, uh, I got this, don't worry, I got it, named, oh my goodness, they don't put her name. Okay, I'll try and find the name for you guys, but uh, for now, I'm just going to read the article. So here we have an article from a woman who is now a journalist that she writes for, this is on City. And uh, she was for a year, I believe. Yeah, one year, 2017 to 2018. She was a ghost tour guide for two companies in the town of Savannah, Georgia. So there's the, you know, big reveal. America's most haunted town. And I think a lot of people would agree with her and me on this in saying that Savannah is extremely haunted. I haven't been yet, though. I'm, I'm looking forward to going. I'm sure I'll be proven right. So it was a, I was a ghost tour guide in America's most haunted city. Here's what's real and fake. So she writes, My hometown of Savannah is regarded as one of the most haunted cities in America. has very highly popular ghost tours. They call it the hostess city. I'm not sure why. Uh, makes an impression on visitors. Uh, her live oak line cobble streets. Uh, culinary scene and rich history you can't acknowledge the rugged beauty of the coast without acknowledging its sinister attributes that's a beautiful sentence let me repeat but you can't acknowledge the rugged beauty of the coast without acknowledging its sinister attributes and savannah is true to that it is home to unspeakable acts of murder and mayhem some of which have left a lasting stain on the city's reputation In Savannah, cemeteries are treated like public parks where joggers frequent winding paths around cracked headstones. Cast iron gates in the middle of downtown welcome you for a picnic between the crypts. I would enjoy that. Gravestones bear the names of prominent families after which the streets are named. Now this is her talking again. As she said before beginning her career in journalism, she was a, in the paranormal, she was a tour guide from 17 to 18 uh, 2017 to 2018 
Uh, now, during her tenure, her title she gave herself is amazing. It's the Ghostess with the Mostess. It's a play on Beetlejuice, I believe. Uh, she grew her ability to scare off the pants. Now, she says naive tourists. I think that's kind of mean. I don't consider any of my tourists naive. If, if In fact, I, some of them are expert in ghost stories. They love them so much, and they'll take in as much as they can. So I would never say naive. But uh, yeah, in some cases, you know, discerning fact from fiction. So as a journalist, this is where she's going to focus on uh, which stories were factual and which ones. She says fiction, I say legend, because there's always a grain of truth in the in the bottom of every legendary story, whether you believe in fiction or not. Now, a lot of the ghost stories, they say difficult to verify. That's true. Some of the over the years, uh, names get lost. Details do get changed. That's true. Um, so it's like a, she, she's a good quote. She says a century long game of telephone. I, I can see what she means by that. But, uh, you know, she says uh, she's a little bit, um, aggressive in this, in this article, talking about some of the establishments who do the tours. They're out just for the money and they'll make crap up everywhere they go. And you know what? I agree. I mean, there is some of that element up there. I want you to know that I don't do that. I don't know if you believe me or not, but just I'm going to state it out there. I don't do that. I am a huge fan of real ghost stories. I love legends as well, and we tell legends, and you know maybe there's not a huge amount of truth in there, but it doesn't stop it from being a great ghost story. So what she does in this article is actually very cool, and I'm going to read over it right now. She wants to discern between what's real and what's fake. Again, I said don't say fake. I say legend, and she starts with the real. So the real deal of the Savannah Ghost Tour starts with a woman named Alice Riley in Wright Square. Now, Alice Riley was the first woman ever to be hanged in the state of Georgia. Uh, This is a location that was located in front of the old courthouse. And uh, Wright Square was used as what they called the Hanging Square. So this is going to go back all the way to 1735. That's almost 10 years after the castle of Fort Niagara was built. And uh, she was a servant from Ireland, Riley, came to Georgia in 1733. Uh, She had a lover. His name was Richard White. And they were both convicted for the murder of a cattle farmer who they were working for, a man named William Wise. Now, a letter written to James Orglethorpe in 1734 reveals White strangled Wise with a handkerchief and Riley drowned him in a pail of water at his home on Hutchinson's Island. The pair were hung for their crimes, and the ghost of Alex Riley, or Alice Riley is frequently reported to be roaming around the square. To this day, it is uh, one of the only squares in Savannah where Spanish moss mysteriously does not grow. So I assume the moss grows everywhere else but this square. It could be... I don't know. If I were to say it's not ghostly, I would say it's because so many people are walking around. It's probably visited by a lot of people. What amazes me is the uh, story of the murder. It's like, can you picture that? It's like White was strangled. uh, So, yeah, Richard White strangled Wise with a handkerchief, which is not very big, so you'd have to get very close. And then Riley, what is she, was she jumping on his back? It's like jumping on his head or something? It's like drowning his face in a pail of water. That's uh, gruesome. But 
it has real history behind it. So the uh, our author here considers it a real story, which I agree. So we have also the uh, uh, Colonel uh, Park Cemetery. The 18th century cemetery is the oldest in downtown Savannah, is the home to 9,000 graves, but only a few hundred markers remain. I have heard this story that uh, much of the town is a graveyard, so you have the, all of these graves, but they don't consider it a graveyard because there's so few stones that mark it. This is true with many old burial grounds. So it's being uh, known for a hotbed of ghostly sightings. It has an extensive history, which is a good mix. Uh, and its uh, gates housed the Union soldiers that marched during Sherman's March of the Sea in 1864. So it's got even uh, rich military history. And they say one of the reasons why the energies are so stirred up on the land is because the Union soldiers, when they were housed there, they desecrated the headstones. Uh, it was southern, right? So Union soldiers are north. The Southern soldiers, they had no respect. This also happened, too, when the Americans took over Niagara-on-the-Lake, the the graves were desecrated. And so they passed the time. So they believe that the disrespect towards the graves is the reason why the energy got stirred up. Because normally I would say that cemeteries aren't haunted, but it has this supporting history behind it that makes me wonder if this is the reason why there's energy there. So there's another mass grave she mentions on the northern end. Um, yeah, so there's a mass grave on the northern end of the cemetery holds 700 yellow fever victims. So there's a lot of sadness, I'm sure, that exists in the land. Uh, the ghost tours scare guests with these stories, uh, showing... Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, so they say that it's possible that the yellow fever victims, some of them were buried alive because they say that there's uh, scratch marks on the on the inside of the coffins. So that's, uh, I don't know about that. And she mentions the, the origins of the Saved by the Bell, which I don't know if you know, Saved by the Bell is not just that uh, show with Zach Morris and the gang, but it is actually a term that comes back from the bells that they would install in a grave just in case by mistake you were buried alive, right? Because some sicknesses made you look dead, and it could happen. So then you could ring the bell, you would move your toe, it would ring the bell, and a caretaker would run and um, and let you out. <laughs> so it was a good system. It actually, a lot of people spent money on that. So it was a, a good business too. Moon River Brewing Company. The historic 1821 establishment was Savannah's first hotel. It is notorious for serving as a makeshift hospital during the yellow fever epidemic of 1876. The Travel Channel called it the, one of the most terrifying places around. Now, Christopher Lewis, who was a longtime employee, told uh, the Savannah Morning News, there's a quote, I've been sitting in my office before and had bottles thrown at me off the shelf. I've seen shadows walking by and heard little kids playing that aren't really there. And the bottles being thrown off the shelf make me think that we're dealing with a ghost who does not like that the building is being used as a brewery. It was a hotel originally, so it had bottles in there too, so I don't know why he would be so upset. Maybe it was a former alcoholic, I don't know. Uh, they said the building sat empty for 16 years, and Lewis um, the, said the renovation plans that were coming to play in the 1970s, they came to a halt in 1979 
because as he is quoted as saying is because the ghostly spirits uh, didn't allow the construction to continue. I don't know how true that is, but uh, they say most of the sightings today are attributed to a spirit of a child. They call him Toby, and they say he likes to play tricks on customers in the cellar. It's probably the worst possible place. It's always a basement or an attic. Remember that. And finally, we move on to the faked stories. Now, fake, again, not a term I'd use, but let's just call them legendary stories. And the first one is the Shanghai Hole of the Pirate's House. Not the most clean of titles, but it's a cool, interesting story. It's uh, 1734 structures, so much history in this town. And many believe that the Pirate's House is the one that inspired uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's novel, Treasure Island. It's the location which, uh, spoiler alert, Captain Flint dies from drinking too much rum at an inn in Savannah. They say this was the inn. Uh, The tour guides are eager to share the tales of intoxicated sailors who were drugged, kidnapped, and dragged off to sea through a labyrinth of underground tunnels. Just a quick history here. When you say uh, to be Shanghai'd, back in the days, there's some stories out of Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, was to be kidnapped. So you would get drunk, you would be kidnapped, and then you would find yourself on a boat when you sobered up, and you would become a uh, servant uh, over in China. So that's to be Shanghai'd. It's an old-fashioned term. So they say that there's no uh, evidence of this, and I can see the blatant, massive hole in this story just by, because Savannah, if you don't know the geography, is on the opposite side of the United States. So all of the people who were Shanghai, of course, would be on the side of the states, the ocean towns that would be right across from China. So I I can see the hole right here. The I'll call it, this is my Shanghai hole. <laughs> The hole in the plot is that that wouldn't have happened on that side of the country. It's more, as I mentioned, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, where this would have occurred. So another legend is Anna in the Window. It's in a, uh, an 1790 inn, uh, infamous, uh, infamous for a meddlesome ghost known as Anna. Story states that a heartbroken young Anna threw herself from the window of room 204, after the sailor she was in love with left for sea. Some say that she was an enraged marriage as well, so different versions of the story, so the legend this commonly happens, and her angry and jealous fiancé pushed her to her demise. Either way, uh, to this day, they, they actually put a mannequin with a black wig in the, in the window to scare you. I wonder who gets room 204 if they have to keep the mannequin there, if they can move it. It's probably embedded in the floor, I'm going to assume. But it would ruin the view, which I'm not a fan of. As well, I question, too, with this story is that uh, if it's room 204 and she threw herself from the window, wouldn't she have lived? I don't know. Is this is this hotel on a hill? Like, is, it, is the drop much farther down than I'm thinking? Because, yeah, jumping from the second floor, I think you'd maybe, like, sprain an ankle or something. Maybe break your leg worst. But I think you would live. So, holes in this story, too. And the final one is the hanging in the old pink house. So this is a popular dining destination today. It used to be a home uh, to a man named James Habersham Jr. That's a great name. 
It's called the Old Pink House. It's said to be haunted by the ghosts of James himself, who hanged himself in the basement after discovering his wife had an affair. However, um, the reason why, and I mean, there could be realism to this story, because I don't think they really reported suicides back then, kind of like they don't today. But the reason why they think that this were by the author thinks this one is fake is because of the, uh, the fact that James Habersham is buried in the cemetery. So he's on consecrated ground. And if you don't know from history is that if you committed suicide, which is considered a slight to God's gift, which is life, that the uh, Christian faith back then, you would not be allowed to be buried on consecrated ground, so church ground, but he is. So, and this this is actually really good. I, I respect the author here. She really did her research, and it's true. So that is a hole in the plot that would say he didn't hang himself. Now, I mean, there's also the side. I mean, he had a big house. He was uh, rich in the town, I'm sure, probably well-known. So maybe they pulled some strings. This is my my only devil's advocate moment to say he pulled some strings to be able to get into the actual cemetery and try and get this slight to God taken off of his record so that he could be honored in the future. But, I mean, this legend here, if you do say it's fake, then it worked. And, uh, you know, people are like, no, 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 he didn't kill himself. But if you believe he actually did hang himself, then, you know, it didn't work. And it uh, didn't matter pulling strings. is <laughs> still uh, talk about it today in a certain way. But uh, I leave it up to you. But that's a good, that's a very good point to history to say that it could be fake is because he's in consecrated ground in the main, the main cemetery of the town. Okay, so the, uh, the author of this uh, article, I have her name here. It's Maeve Brown. So she's the Georgia staff writer at NAR City. If you want to read her articles, uh, Maeve is M-A-E-V-E. Brown is B-R-O-W-N-E. And you just go to narcity.com and search her name, read some articles. She's a good writer. Definitely worth reading. And I have enjoyed reading this one. Well, that's it, everyone. I got to cut out. I went a little late this week. Uh, just as a side note, we have a brand new audio tour that's up on the website. This is an audio tour for Niagara on the Lake. It is companion to the live tours. So if you've done the live tours, there's new history in this. There's new information and definitely new ghost stories. Uh, please check it out. Let me know what you think. But thanks for listening, everyone. I'll talk to you next week.